following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Strap in, movie fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And And this this is is Box Box Office Office 30. 30. You guys give up or you're thirsty for more? Greetings and welcome to another installment of Box Office 30. Again, as we're talking about our November of 1990 film, the fantastic, beloved Home Alone, starring the now 40-year-old Macaulay Culkin, as he's posted on social (laughs) media, which is really frightening and makes all of us feel old. I'm Michael, and with me always is my cohort in crime, Pete. How's it going, Pete? I'm doing pretty well. Um, Yeah. (laughs) It's been a week. It's been one of these wacky weeks, and... I'm not going to get into too much of that here, but let's just say there was a, a miniature COVID scare that turned out to be nothing, which is good. You want that to be the end of it, but still made for a bizarre week. <laughs> I, I feel like every week has been a bizarre week in this entire year. My wife and I were looking over last year's Christmas cards or holiday cards, and it says on the back, we hope you have a wonderful new year and all your tidings be whatever. I was like, yeah, we really jinxed everybody on that one. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I've been trying to think lately about like when the concept of like the year just being terrible rolled around. And I, for a fact, remember 2016 not being a great year. Yeah. I feel like maybe some of the ones before that were were also kind of Wonky. up in the air. But I think it's like gotten progressively worse. And like every new year, we keep tricking ourselves into like, well, 2020 was a dud, but 2021 will be better. And then like, nope. nope. <laughs> like next year is clearly Skynet, right? Yeah. I mean, like oh, for after sure. after this year, I mean, it's got to be Skynet, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. Either that or it's going to be like Lord of the Flies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it, I think there's some some communities that are like that right now, think, frankly, passing so. around the conch shell. <laughs> I, I really think they are. It's kind of like, this is a weird year and everyone's like, hoping and praying that come January 1st, 2021, we can start a new slate. I'm like, we're still (laughs) not done with the drama of this year to even be able to say that we're done with the drama of next year that could even be forthcoming, you know? So yeah, we're just, we're just swapping some problems for other problems. It'll, (laughs) there's, there's no end in sight. (laughs) I'll I'll tell you a funny little thing. So last night we had um, my youngest daughter's first birthday and we go to a restaurant. There's literally, we had the entire restaurant to ourselves. We tried to do outdoor dining, but it was too cold. So they had this like semi enclosed breezeway area that was heated. So we moved everybody into there you know, there's always somebody complaining, oh, I'm still cold. I'm like, the heat is pumping in this place. We have the entire place for ourselves. There's just this little breezeway. There's only like eight of us there, the entire social gathering. And the party's going off fine. Everyone's having a good time. And then all of a sudden, 
the guest of honor, the baby. I'm I'm like, she's having a great time. She's so happy, having fun, laughing. Then just starts puking. Uncontrolled puking to the point where like I had to pick her up, bring her to the car, change all of her clothes, take away her high chair because it was all covered. It was a disaster. And I was like, that basically sums up one year of this kid's life. Well, I mean, there's there's that end of that story. And then the other end of that story is you got these people that like have their restaurant and they've probably been struggling to stay afloat and, and, you know, like keep people on and all this sort of thing. And then you got this batch of people that comes in with their little party and then they got to clean up the puke off the, yes. <laughs> off the floor <laughs> in the high chair. And it's and like so some poor employee there was like, I'm so done with this year. <laughs> yes, absolutely. 100. That's all I kept saying. I'm like, oh man, there's literally no other customers in this whole restaurant other than us. <laughs> and the poor waiters and bus boys and whatever have to clean up this. You're welcome. Nice. So, well, on a brighter note, we're here tonight with our, I say tonight, Mike and I are here tonight. You guys are whenever you're listening. See, I'm pulling your shenanigans. I do it it all the time. (laughs) Timing, timing podcasts out. But uh, we're here with the uh, review section of our podcast for Home Alone. And, you know, again, what kind of better way to put a smile on your face than a good old <laughs> rewatch review of, of such a fun movie as, as home alone. Um, so, so I was thinking about this and I have an, yeah. idea, I have an idea and I'm going to propose this to the listeners. Maybe watch the movie, but also <laughs> have the podcast on at the same time to see if oh. you can find or notice some of the things that we noticed in the <laughs> review and and to point out some of the nuances and you might kind of look at the movie in a different perspective because it's you know in my house the day after thanksgiving it's on repeat this elf national lampoon's christmas vacation for the next you know 28 days let's say till till christmas <laughs> yes yeah no for sure um and it's funny too you know as part of my rewatch, and I think we maybe you know, touched on this the other day, um, it's really funny. You know, I, I, it, they're two wonderful movies. I love them both to death. I didn't realize how closely related um, Christmas Vacation and this movie are. I mean, you've got the common link of of a John Hughes script and right. things like that. But you know, I think one thing I was either forgetting or maybe I didn't know was that Chris Columbus had been tapped to film um christmas vacation and then um ended up bowing out because he wasn't getting along with chevy chase which you know there's a lot of people out there that'll talk about that chevy chase is not one of these people that's the easiest to get along with but the funny part was and again and i was saying to you all last time that i had all this stuff in the back of my head from something i thought i had seen on youtube Turns out, <laughs> I looked it up. Turns out what it was, because I was like, God, this is, I felt like it was a bigger documentary. Um, what I had been watching, among other things over time, is uh, the movies that made us on Netflix. Uh, the first episode of that was Home Alone. I got to watch so this. If you, I haven't watched it yet, and I really need Yeah, that. if you haven't seen that, first of all, I just highly recommend seeing that one episode of it. I, I love the series to death um, between movies that made us, toys that made us, really great docu-series. Um, well, well, well worth checking out. But funny enough, uh, I was waiting for Michael to come on tonight because he was doing a little bit of 
prep stuff for Thanksgiving. And um, I, I was like, you know, <laughs> my lead up to this was that um, pretty much almost as soon as I had finished recording the episode with you last week, my uh, daughter Zoe wanted to watch Home Alone. Really? So we watched it like right away then, like the next day. And um, I don't know, I was being lazy or something. I didn't do my normal note taking thing, <laughs> which, by the way, Michael and I decided we're going to start flip flopping those because we kind of were doing that. So I think that's going to be the official thing here on out. I kind of can't wait to see what uh, what that means for which movies we land on, because there might be somewhere. Yeah. We, yeah. We I don't want to do the notes for that one. <laughs> I really think that I made a bad decision on that because I have to do <laughs> Dances with Wolves next month. And I'm like, he gets adorable lovely home alone 90 minutes of of cuteness and i get three and a half hours of dances with yeah wolves. and then to follow up on that i'll get um kindergarten cop so yeah good job what? <laughs> <laughs> you get kindergarten cop too oh. although truthfully uh we might have a guest for that i still have to check that our guest is coming but we might have a real life kindergarten teacher coming to join us for a kindergarten cop which is gonna be fun yes but i digress so anyway yes so i I had to rewatch home alone twice this week because i watched it um with zoe the other day and i I didn't take my notes and then i was feeling very unprepared to come on here and do this tonight so actually i totally just rewatched home alone right now (laughs) (laughs) did you really yes (laughs) and actually because i still had some time left over i watched um about two-thirds of that um uh, move, uh, movies that made us uh, episode of, of Home Alone again. Funny. So that was good. I was trying to refresh my memory. But again, yeah, they were talking about that Chris Columbus got tapped to do Christmas Vacation, bowed out, and then about like a week or so later got, um, this. got approached yeah, again um, with the script for this, which apparently um, John Hughes had like written this and one other movie. He didn't say which other movie. He had written this and another movie like over like a weekend or something. Wow. So, uh, yeah, prolific writer, that guy. Unbelievable. Seriously. Um, so, you know, the rest is, is movie history. But again, like, I'm, I don't want to dive so much into that stuff. You could really talk it to death. Please, if you haven't watched it, and I'm talking to you and I'm talking to our listeners, do yourself a favor. Check out that series on Netflix. Really, really worth a watch. And as a funny aside, is that Die Hard one as well, up, isn't there? There is. Yeah, there's several really good movies. There's some that I cared a little less about, um, but but there's some really good um, flicks on there. Uh, and I just noticed that they had one that said like the holiday movies that made us. So I don't know if that's something new or just something I missed, but I might have to <laughs> dig that one up now and, and see what that is, because whoever puts those series together, they they do an awesome, awesome job. That's cool. So um, do you want to dive into this review of Home Alone from November of 1990? Absolutely. So per Mike, I don't know if you guys want to try and cue it up. I doubt it's going to follow along. This is no uh, dark side of the moon. <laughs> you know, I'm Wizard of Oz. If we could here. do that, that would be fantastic. Yes. But, uh, you know, I, the one thing I'll preface this with, and, and we'll see how long this ends up going. I imagine this is going to be a little shorter than some of our other ones, although I do have four pages of notes here. Um, <laughs> we did cover a lot in the in the recall too. Like we really, that, yeah, and that's just the thing. We covered a lot there, and frankly, you know, everybody's seen this movie. You know what I mean? So uh, hopefully, the way I approached it with my notes this time, I, you know, I'm not just like blazing through the story point by point. I just kind of had some fun stuff I thought I'd I'd point out, pick fun at, you know, things like that, um, because I feel like that that's kind of our trend here. <laughs> so uh, so that said, uh, you know, I have some cool things as well. And I, I thought one of the first things that um, I thought was kind of unique or funny about 
the way this movie opened was that they had um, like moon footage. So like real live moon footage, but then the little home alone graphic. And it's so funny, you know, I had kind of like forgotten or had not been thinking about that cute little house with the one window and the window like lights up and goes off. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I I don't know. There's just things so charming about that. And then the other half of the reason I wanted to bring this up, which I, I, I thought you'd get a kick out of is kind of whenever I see moon footage like that, I can't help but think of your, your logo that we created back in the day. <laughs> well, well, there's that, but it, that was the footage that we reused from your um, my thesis uh, film, senior project. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, like, as I was standing out on your aunt and uncle's back porch in freezing cold weather, filming the moon for 20 minutes in November. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that just that just pops into my head. So I I don't know something about that made me made me think of you. That's pretty funny. That's, <laughs> it, it, Honestly, now when the way you were describing it reminded me of that whole thing too. It was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, the other funny part too is I realized actually later after I took this note, they actually reuse that footage later on in the movie um, when uh, everybody goes to sleep for the night. They use the exact same moon footage over again. Do they really? Funny. No yes. kidding. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So speaking of, oh my god, this whole household, uh, you know, like they're running around crazy. They're all missing that there's a police officer standing in the front way, front entryway. Don't you think that would catch somebody's attention? <laughs> They're all like, oblivious to it. Completely. You know, I've had parties like that. You know, my aunt always, um, you know, God rest her soul, she's passed now. But uh, she always used to throw these um, Christmas parties where the whole fam damnly came over. Oh, yeah. And, you know, like... Uh, I make fun of this movie, but we were way more than 15. I mean, we had 13 cousins, just cousins, forgetting aunts and uncles and wow. friends or whoever else that showed up there. And I know you know the big family yeah. thing. But uh, like if, if a cop was like standing there in the door, like probably somebody would notice. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> and then first kind of intro to uh, Kevin is uh, he starts kind of complaining, right? And so he's he's talking about that his uncle Frank is letting the older kids watch a movie that he's not allowed to watch. I don't know that it ever connected for me before that he's probably talking about Angels with Filthy Souls. I bet it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you you watch these movies and again, as you say, you know, you've I've watched this movie umpteen times as an adult and maybe I've noticed this before and just forgotten it. But like, you know, he kind of said that and I wasn't like putting two and two together that like, yeah, that's probably the movie, you know, because then obviously he goes to watch it first chance he gets later when everybody else is gone. So, yeah, that's true. A little I funny, funny that. wink. Yeah. And, you know, I have some more notes that'll kind of mention this as we go here. But like, I really realized that uh, between John Hughes and then Chris Columbus kind of um, rewrote and then would hand it back to John Hughes, and then he'd rewrite between the two of them. They really stitched together a really pretty tight script for this yeah. movie. Like it's, they, we've watched a lot of movies, you know, it, just for this show. This is probably one of the tightest stories we've seen thus far. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, if you go watch that that docu series on it, it's it's neat because kind of what you get is that Chris Columbus brought a lot of the Christmas feel to this that, you know, it, it kind of existed, but not as like such a main kind of focus of the narrative right. as it ends up ultimately being. Um, but yeah, I don't know. The two of them just they, they did a really good job and there's lots of like little 
foreshadowing and and little just like things that they button up really nicely yeah. throughout. So I thought I thought this was kind of like a, a little nice wink to that that obviously then returns back later. So my my first big problem with this movie um, is that he doesn't know what's going on with packing his suitcase. So <laughs> I don't understand these people are like literally the night before Paris, you know, trip. They're going on this extended trip. Nobody thought to pack this kid's suitcase. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, this family's clearly not the most organized and I don't know. They're just setting things up for disaster, I feel like. But he <laughs> you says know, like, he's eight years old. What eight-year-old do you know packs their suitcase? You, you have an eight-year-old. Is she packing her own suitcase? Well, that's the thing, you know, and I guess you could argue that this is like a a child freaking out about something that's not really a problem. But at the same time, like, when are they going to pack this kid's suitcase? <laughs> like, like, seriously, like, I don't know. I mean, there's definitely people out there and maybe some of you are listening that save this sort of thing for the last minute. And I get it. But like, dang, you know, <laughs> it's, it's eight o'clock the night before. Like, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. And again, I just touched on this, but seriously, who are all these kids? <laughs> right. Seriously. There's a lot of, them. you know, I, as I was watching this, I was like really kind of getting overwhelmed. They do this thing and they do it several times throughout this movie. The, the montage of the different faces popping in. Well, there's that, but it's more like the the old like Bugs Bunny thing of like people just entering and exiting random doors, going up and down yes. staircases, like just moving through space. You know what I mean? And I'm like, God, these people are busy, you know, like <laughs> pick a room and sit down. I mean, like they are just like hustling back and forth, back and forth. You know, I mean, like obviously when they are rushing to to get everybody ready to go to the airport later, which is a miracle unto itself, that they sleep in and then within 45 minutes, like make it onto the plane from a Chicago suburb whatever but <laughs> you know uh like they're doing that like that like hyper fast speed yeah. and everything like but they you know it's funny they have these little things that they do throughout it multiple times like that and i'd actually be curious to go back and watch either um more chris columbus movies or more john hughes movies and see how many of these like funny little tropes um pop up and i have more of them to mention as we go here but the, like that was definitely the, the one of them through space thing i feel like it's got to be a Chris Columbus thing because they do stuff like that in movies like uh, The Goonies. I've seen them in the beginning when they're trying to like gather them up and everything. Like that seems like a trope of his, maybe a little bit. This is also a movie in my mind where a lot of the film is kind of shot or at least told from Kevin's perspective. So it might sure. be the way that he sees the world. You know? Yeah, I mean that that's another excellent point. Um yeah, no, Kevin's perspective for sure. Um, you know, and I, I think they do a pretty good job, and we mentioned this the other day, of of making this movie feel realistic mm -hmm. to how an eight-year-old might react to a lot of these situations. Now, Kevin's not necessarily the most, you know, stereotypical eight-year-old you know he's he's kind of a brat right. <laughs> you know i mean he he talks back to his parents and things like that you know but i, I do think that they try and bring things down to the scale and, and you know this goes without saying for some of the things like even the thing we were talking about last time with like the the um cologne like the aftershave you know and things like that like they they do a lot of silly gags of of like this young kid kind of acting like the man of the house or whatever so right. they definitely do try and bring it down to his perspective um and they have some filmmaking um, ways of doing that but i'll get to that <laughs> but um i noted the mom said that there was 15 people in the house and the funny part is that seems almost like she's like 
undercounting. Like it feels like there's more than that somehow. So uh, the math though adds up because when it the, does check out, yeah, the, the daughter <laughs> does the head count and says there's eleven kids, and there's only four adults. That's but, right. No, yeah, it does. It does check out when they later on do that math but i think it's again just that like locomotion of people and you know there's there's a lot of you know kevin has four siblings um and then there's the cousins and things like that but wait a minute whoa, whoa, whoa. you're right kevin has yeah. four siblings that yeah means and you know that- the way i know that specifically because i don't feel like they do a great job of like letting you know exactly who's who you know that buzz is his brother right you know that fuller is his cousin they don't really do a great job outside of that. The only reason I know that is they had one moment where they showed a picture frame of his immediate family. And I was like, that's a lot of kids. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. So if Kevin has three siblings and there's a four. Le- four siblings. Yes. Are you sure it's four? Not, not Really? Okay. He's, he's one of five. Okay. Then that means Frank <laughs> and his wife have six children. Yeah. Wow. These people are busy. Yeah. I wonder if they need a big house like that. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, like, again, like they, they never really truly establish great relationships with who is who hundred yeah. percent, you know, you, they, you know, they tack buzz in, you really get that sense of that older brother there, but um, the rest of them are just kind of loose, you know, siblings, cousins, and with one liners, you know, they're it. just running in and out of the room. They're not yeah. memorable. So it actually becomes hard to keep track or or pay attention to, to exactly who any of them are. And as you say, yeah, like some of them have like a line in the movie, maybe two lines, things like that. So it, a lot of people mostly fodder. But again, I think one of the interesting things, if you go and start analyzing like, well, why? Why do they have so darn many siblings? It's the only feasible way that they can forget a child. Right. You know what I mean? And it's, so it's like, it, it's clever in that, you know, I mean, there's, there's like a lot of just like funny little things like that, that you either just accept at face value, or if you start thinking about it, you're like, they wrote that in to make this story possible. So right. again, I just thought another, another fun thing. It, it it makes sense because yeah, I mean, not to say that a, a, a normal family would, but if there's 11 kids running through the house and you ask the oldest daughter to do a head count of everybody in the car, and she counts 11 heads because it's a teenage girl who doesn't really care. And it just <laughs> doesn't notice the neighbor's kid is not her brother. Then you're, there's your head count. Yeah, we'll get to we'll get to that neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of other neighbors, actually, uh, old man Marley. <laughs> so, I, you know, again, we talked about this last time. I, I love the concept that an older brother terrifies older the- sibling whoever would terrorize yes you know other members of the family particularly kevin with this story that you know that he would like murdered his family half the people on the block mm. back in 1958 you know somehow the guy's not in jail right he says something on the lines of like there wasn't enough evidence to convict because they never found the bodies <laughs> but then immediately he goes on to mention that he keeps all the bodies in the trash can because the salt <laughs> turns them into mummies which would in fact preserve them. So I don't know. I mean, like if the evidence is being preserved that well, I don't know. You know, it's, it's obviously like a, uh, if Kevin's eight, what do you think? Buzz is 13, something 13 year old I'd say, yeah. story falling apart, probably a little bit there, but like it's, I, I just love that writing. Like the concept that like this guy would like 
kill people with a snow shovel and like keep them in his salt can and like it leads you to wonder what the heck does the guy do the rest of the year when it's not snowing, snowing? <laughs> it is chicago but they don't have snow all year round <laughs> yes <laughs> So uh, the next, uh, you know, because they're they're throwing a lot of people at you here quick. The next kind of repeating character that they throw in here is the little Nero delivery guy. Oh, the pizza guy. Yes. He's he's, <laughs> he's great because he pops up so many times in the movie and it's just fun every time. He does. And, you know, like by the end of this movie, like this poor kid, like I don't think I would take deliveries to this place no. anymore. And, and and probably after the last time he comes, I, I probably would bet he wouldn't. But, uh, man, what a driver this guy is, too. You know, like, the other thing is he's, like, he's like all over the street, like, oh. winding back and forth. <laughs> keeps running into their little, uh, um, what do you call that guy? The jockey, the jockey statue yeah. that they've, they've got, got out in front of their place. I mean, yeah, I know it's like he's got to get it there within 20 minutes or it's free. But, like, damn, like, <laughs> take a driving lesson. Yeah, Jeez. seriously. <laughs> no, it is funny. And, Speaking about our pizza guy, I, I kind of made note because, again, 1990s stuff. Ten pizzas, 122.50. That's 12.25 a pizza. Whatever happened to that? Seriously. <laughs> I, I, you know, I feel like um, the cheapest I get a pizza for at any sort of normal pizza parlor, and again, it's not Little Nero's, is like, I don't know, 18 bucks, something like that. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I guess they, you could get like coupons at Domino's and maybe get something for yeah the, down that, in that neck of the woods. I mean, Domino's <laughs> does have a five dollar pizza, but I don't know if I want a five dollar pizza. <laughs> yeah, I think on average, I mean, m- maybe back then a pizza was fifteen bucks, maybe. Yeah, you know, now it's easily eighteen to twenty dollars. I remember, I remember like getting them for like twelve bucks or so. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it kind of made me think about it. We'd go to this place, Concadoro, in our town, and get them for like. 12-ish, 13-ish. It was like that's also you could get like a, a slice no for a dollar or things like know? that. Yeah, yeah, totally. These are um, like, you know, there was only one plain cheese pizza, which is the whole point of the thing. <laughs> the kid gets pissed because he wanted a plain cheese pizza. Which seems unlikely. I mean, like, you know, have you ever ordered a bunch of pizzas with anybody and like the overwhelming yeah. number of them haven't been cheese? Yeah, no, never, <laughs> never. Usually it's like, okay, you get 10 pizzas and at least six or seven of them are plain, I would assume, you know, <laughs> in my mind. Now, the funny thing about Little Nero's is um, I think I thought for a long time that that was an actual pizza chain. And I think I was mixing it with, with Little Caesars. With uh, Little Caesars and like, I think there was something else that was like a similar name that maybe started with an N or something, you know? Um, but it so cracked me up because I was I was kind of rewatching that. And I'm like, Little Nero's, I don't know that that's actually a pizza place. I think I thought they were going to be doing some uh, product placement and I, I was going to mention it in our notes here. But then the more I thought about it, I'm like, I'm not sure that's an actual place. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you even started thinking about like, is that a real pizza parlor? Yeah. <laughs> a lovely cheese pizza just for me. That's pretty funny. <laughs> oh, that makes me laugh. <laughs> so the father finally comes to talk with the cop and the pizza delivery man, which seems like it's taken like way too long. Way because, too long. You know, uh, they were both just kind of standing there at the door, you know, for what seems like a long time. He chats with them for like a minute 
And then just leaves both of them standing there, not having paid the delivery man and not asking them to leave, <laughs> you know, like not like finishing up the story, like just like says like, yeah, did it. And then like just walks off. <laughs> I was just like, I was like, all right, you know, okay. And then, uh, you know, um, eventually somebody comes out. I think the mother comes the mother out comes to, pays, yeah. to, to finally like send them off and, and pay them. But like, meanwhile, we, you know, we're starting to realize there's something fishy with the, with uh, the guy who ultimately becomes Harry, you know, mm. <laughs> and he's kind of fishing around for information. So we get that going, skipping ahead because obviously a lot happens, you know, that Kevin gets into the fight with buzz, knocks over the soda, spills it on the mm. airplane tickets, all this sort of thing, but skipping past all that, you know, I realize this is actually really a wish fulfillment movie. Um, and you know, it's but like it's big? another kind of yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's there's so many kids movies that sort of inv- you know have like this wish, and then like some kind of like supernatural force makes the wish happen. Like big, like liar, liar, like Freaky Friday. Um, you know, there's there's a million of those type of movies. Um, and it's subtle in this, but it's there, you know, and we kind of talked about it like a little bit last time. Like he's like, Oh, my wish came true or whatever. But I, I, you know, I really realized that like, you know, where everything kind of kicks off is, you know, he gets banished up to like this, like attic room. Um, and they finally say they're going to send Fuller off to sleep in some other room, which I I was questioning, trying to remember that <laughs> the other day. Like I was like, you know, if Fuller was going to pee on him and he was going to sleep with him. How is it that Kevin ended up alone? <laughs> and really, they just like undo it with his mom being like, all right, we'll make him sleep somewhere else. So yeah. presumably somebody else got peed on because that kid was down in the Pepsis. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, that was down. In what, the a, what a dirty little kid, too. Like, you know, like they're like, oh, he That's pees his real life brother. <laughs> he, he pees the bed and then like he like turns to him and like, like gives him like the eyebrows. And I was just like, damn, that kid knows what he's doing. That's not right. <laughs> oh man! I digress. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's just it's just really funny because um, you know he goes to sleep with, and this is kind of going back again to what you were saying, where it, in Kevin's perspective, it's in his mind. He's kind of got like a little voiceover where he's like wishing that like his family would just disappear. He doesn't yeah. want he doesn't want them to be there tomorrow. He doesn't want any family. He doesn't want anything to do with the family. I even like he had a line at one point where he's like, when I grow up and get married, I'm living alone. And I was like, well, you better skip the getting married part if you want the living alone part. But did did he say get married? He says get married. He does. Yeah, he does. He's like, he's like, I want to grow. When I grow up and get married, I'm living alone. Yeah, (laughs) Um, exactly. Yes. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I really realized that this becomes a Christmas wish that comes true because, you know, you, it kind of cuts then to overnight and the wind's really blowing and like a, you know, they do this real close up shot of the uh, Santa wreath on his door, which Mm -hmm. is like quasi nice holiday wreath and quasi just horrifying Santa face. (laughs) It's like really blowing around in the wind. And then a a power line gets knocked down, which knocks the power out and and thus begins the antics of the family having to, uh, Wake up and, and run late. Yeah. Exactly. Meanwhile, friggin' Mitch Murphy. <laughs> Mitch Murphy, kid from next door. It's all his fault. 100%. All right. You could blame Kevin's parents for gross negligence and, and not, you know, paying attention that make sure that they've got their children there. You could blame Kevin 
for acting up and, and going and staying upstairs. You could blame all sorts of things, but really, when it comes down to it for me, friggin' Mitch Murphy is the malefactor of this whole movie. He's really the antagonist <laughs> of the film. Yes. <laughs> it's 8 a.m. He's out harassing these drivers, asking them a million questions. He's poking through the McAllister's luggage. All right. He's he's in their luggage. He's he's taking photos with their camera. He's playing with their yo-yo, which, by the way, who's bringing a yo-yo to France with them? <laughs> like, all right. What a wretched little shit. <laughs> and, and ultimately, as you say, he ends up responsible for this whole thing because when they go to do the count, he's still playing with their luggage in the car. So they just look at the back of his head and his hat and think it's Kevin. Yeah. And it's a similar hat to Kevin's winter hat. He looks incredibly similar to Kevin. And again, like the Murphys um, are kind of a secondary set of characters to this movie because we meet Mitch, but we also find out that his family is going to Florida. And then later on, it comes back because one of their their house is one of the ones that gets robbed. Mm -hmm. And I think it's ultimately the house that they end up in at the very end of the movie. Um, Spoiler alert. (laughs) Is that really? I thought it was... uh... It wasn't um, that old man's house, or was it? The- no, no, he shows up there, but um, it's it's flooding. It's one of the houses that's flooded, uh, um, okay. and so it's one of sense. the people that had left. Um, I always got that confused. It was always kind of conf- like you weren't really sure what house he ends up in. Yes, but- it's is slightly unclear, and we could talk about it when we get to the end. How Marley found out that Kevin was in the trouble that he was in. You're, I guess, left to pres- you know assume that he saw them running from a distance or something, but I don't know. We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it still goes back again to a lot of exposition that's wrapped up in a way that while it might actually be heavy handed, doesn't feel heavy handed. Right. You just get this like goofy next door neighbor kid who's kind of giving details about various things. but. It Ultimately, just you know, like he also talking about like, like, yeah, little kids just ramble like they yeah, just a nosy next door neighbor. But, you know, he he serves his purpose ultimately in screwing up the head count as well. And I like that. Right. You know, and it's it's similar that like then when they get down and they're getting into the cars that there's this, you know, they have this shot that's like first cut, you know, the very first shot where we see the vans outside. There's like a repairman up in a cherry picker working on the pole, mm-hmm. you know, and then he comes back down. And he's like, oh, ma'am, I just want to mention, you know, like your electricity's back, but it's going to be days before the phones are working and she's ignoring him. But it's great because it's it's, again, just like a nice little way to sort of like answer the question that'll come up later of like, well, why couldn't they have just called him? Right. You know what I mean? And there's so many movies that don't do their homework with this type of thing where you're like, well, why didn't they just do this? Or why did they just do that? And they do a really great job of really laying this groundwork through these little extra, you know, tertiary characters to again, set up like, all right, well, that's the reason why this was that. So when you really start trying to poke holes in this movie, it's really hard to do, which Mm -hmm. is great. You know what I mean? It's really hard to poke holes in like some of the logic of like, well, how did this go this way? And how did this go this way? That's not to say it's without its plot holes. There's definitely some, but there's there's a lot of really great forethought into how right. they're going to cover bases as things progress throughout this. So it's just another couple really good examples of that. 
So <laughs> I thought one of the most unbelievable things in this movie is just how easily the gate attendant let them through. Yeah. At well, the airport. <laughs> you, know, you also got to think of it this way. Like, you know, we're still thinking about this in a post 9-11 perspective where it's not that easy. But it's true. Back then. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't think it would have been that easy to get through, but it was. I, no, I, for sure. I mean, again, you know, like I can remember back um, my wife and I, we were a long distance relationship when we first started out. She was from Texas. I was from Long Island. So the first time I flew down to go see her after we had met in person elsewhere, um, her and her mom met me at the door where I got off the plane because that was just a done thing at that you point. Could you could do that back then. You could just, anybody could come into the airport. You could come through security. You didn't need a ticket. You didn't need all the extra sort of stuff. So, you know, it, it not too long after that, that changed, obviously, obviously with things like 9-11, shoe bombing, things like that. Um, but it, it, it just was funny because, you know, like I said, 45 minutes end to end, they like get in, they're rushing through Chicago here. And yeah. uh, they get to the luggage gate already and, checked. Like yes, luggage checked, presumably for again like upwards of fifteen people. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and uh, you know they get to the gate and they're like, "Are we here in enough time?" And she's like, "You just made it," you know. And she opens the door and sends them through, and they just hand her like a wad of tickets. With she doesn't no, bother looking at any of them. Nobody's names, nothing. No names, no checking IDs. No they nothing. could be going to Albuquerque. <laughs> she's like, "Grab whatever." Seats you can get on the plane. They all happen to get seats all right next to each other for the most part. The adults do anyway on the plane, and uh, and yeah, and that and that's just it. But I realize when I start trying to poke at this thing, is yet another example of them doing something to fix a potential plot hole. Because if she stopped them to look through the tickets, they would realize there was a missing person there. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean. So again, it's it's. It's unbelievable, but it also is like another great it works little for the story. version. Yeah, for the story. Exactly. So I feel like the first big plot hole of this movie, and again, it's not that big of a plot hole. And I mentioned this in the other half of our podcast, is that Kevin doesn't seem to remember that him and his whole family was going to France. <laughs> you know, he wakes up. He's kind of groggy. He's like wandering around the house. He's like putting the TV on. He's watching a movie. He's like, mom, dad, where is everybody? You know? Um, and like, eventually he's, he's checking all sorts of rooms. He's checking Buzz's room. He's checking the basement. Eventually he like wanders outside and like goes to look at the garage. And like, you see that the garage um, doors are open. Right. Um, and he's like, Oh, the cars are here. They must not have driven to the airport. So then he just goes on to, I guess, assume that, his wish came true and they disappeared. Cause obviously he, he's like, my wish came true. My family disappeared, right. you know, like the whole, the like whole he, nine yards. He didn't know there was a car service basically. He, uh, correct. Yeah. And again, like, is that believable for an eight year old to like, not have the forethought to think that somebody could take a van or a taxi or whatever to get, get to an airport? Sure. It seems like a leap in logic for him to have just like forgotten or to like not be just making the assumption like oh they left without me you know what i mean rather than just like they just straight up disappeared i guess you could argue an eight-year-old could make that conclusion i'll tell you my seven-year-old would probably not make that conclusion i could be wrong but <laughs> i feel like 
you know, she'd be like, oh, mom and dad went to the grocery store or whatever. You know, like, I, I don't think she'd be like, they disappeared. You know, I also like, think it changes the tone of the movie. If if he realizes they forgot him versus he made them disappear. <laughs> what, what are you saying? This gets darker. <laughs> right. Like, you know, it, it's one of those things where, like, you know, then the kids got to deal with, you know, how could they have forgotten me? Yada, yada, yada. As opposed to. I did this. I yes. wish this into existence. No, it's 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 completely true. You're totally right. There there it would have not been a better way to go about this, but it it just does so crack me up. I, I just can't tell if it's a realistic mentality, but it's at least a a foregone conclusion that in a movie like this we can let something like that happen. The the other thing I want to say about the uh, I made my family disappear is that this is either the first or one of the first times that Kevin breaks the fourth wall, um, which again goes to reinforce kind of what you were mentioning about like everything is from Kevin's perspective. And again, this is, this is something that I feel like, again, I, I don't know is a Chris Columbus thing, but I feel like it's definitely a John Hughes thing right, well, per the, like the, uh, the Ferris Bueller's of the world and things like that. Um, and again, for those out in, in podcast listening land who might not be familiar with the terminology, um, the fourth wall in filmmaking or really even more so in, in theater um, is I think where the term probably originated is this concept that like if you usually look in a theater, it's got three walls and then the fourth wall is the, audience. the audience. You know what I mean? So um, when you talk about a character breaking the fourth wall, it's that they are like essentially stepping out of the movie, stepping out of the, the real universe that the movie is set up in to actually either talk to or to address in some way the audience. And he does this several times throughout this movie, um, usually for comedic effect. And he's usually either got the eyebrows going or, or, you know, he cocks his head at the, you know, like later on when he's got the groceries and he, the grocery bags fall apart and he kind of like, like looks at the audience like, you know, (laughs) so there's a few times that he does this then throughout the rest of the movie. But, you know, again, I just think it's a, it's a funny thing because, you know, you have the fourth wall breaks like Ferris Bueller, where he's literally stopping the movie to like right. address or Deadpool and those kind of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zach Morris and in, in Saved by the Bell, where he's like, you know, like time out, you know, <laughs> like like talking to the actual audience. Um, and then in this one, you just kind of get these sort of momentary like glances um, or like little just like winks and nods from Kevin, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was like a fun kind of thing. And again, it just lends itself to the the general feeling of this movie which you know i think i think it's one of the reasons that so many people love this movie as much as they do is it just it it has a, a great feel good vibe to it and it's a lot of little nuances like this that go into that i think and and it's funny because you know 90% of the movie is just one 8 year old kid by himself in a lot of cases and say what you will about macaulay culkin him at eight years old doing this role by himself says a lot because he doesn't feel though he he feels like a kid he also doesn't fit feel like a kid actor in this movie you know yeah no i mean he's definitely talented he did a really really good job with this um again i think it goes back to a lot of clever writing and how they treat a precocious um eight-year-old like an adult. And if you put some adult lingo and, you know, things like that into this kid, you know, 
it 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 rides the, that fun line where he he he's kind of got that like fun heroic feeling for little kids watching, and he's got this great sort of like comedic kick to it for adults watching. So you know, yeah. again, we you know it has a little something for everybody, but it uh, I don't know. They just did a really good job with with the feel of of how this character is and acts um, in the movie and towards the audience. Right. So. Next up, he's uh, he's going through Buzz's things. You know, again, great stereotypical little kid thing to do. Start fishing around in their older brother's room and trying to find things they're not supposed to be finding. So he's going through his uh, trunk and he's looking at the Playboy magazine and he's like, it's weird. Why does nobody have any clothes on in this? <laughs> you know, like great hot take from a, an eight year old in that situation. Um, and uh, finds the firecrackers, which uh, he says, I'll save these for later. I thought that was very on the nose foreshadowing for oh, the yeah. eventual use of the uh, <laughs> the firecrackers. Um, the other funny thing is he finds tucked away a frame of Buzz's girlfriend. Um, and a fun fact about Buzz's girlfriend, woof, is that it's one of the, I think, producer's um, sons in drag. And they did that because they didn't want to find, like, I guess, an overweight little girl and poke fun at it. So their logic was that they would find an overweight little boy that was like the son of somebody working on it, dress him in drag, and then poke fun at it. <laughs> I don't know which is worse. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, there's logic in that decision. I just don't know what that logic is. <laughs> yeah. You know, like if you're if you're just doing that joke, does it make sense to do that joke? I don't know. Right. <laughs> I mean, again, like it, I. It, you know, there's talk that they're going to reboot um, Home Alone on Disney Plus. Supposedly, they even have um, cast already for it. Um, I was reading some little recent article. Of course, you know, again, one of the funny things that's following us with this podcast, um, and I'm sure even readers of the Retro Network will have acknowledged this, is that there are many articles that pop up alongside ours that are like the 30 year of Home Alone, blah, blah, blah. So, of course, we're doing a 30 year podcast of a lot of these movies. So therefore there's a lot of 30 year articles, which is great because it provides me extra fodder to read through when I come on here and try and <laughs> speak about some of these things. But there was a great um, article uh, interview with um, Chris Columbus recently with insider really great article. But what he says um, at one point, because they kind of ask him about the Disney plus reboot is, you know, like why, why bother? And I don't know about you, I think I know the answer. That's my feeling too. Agreed. You know what I mean? There's there's a lot of movies out there that they have rebooted and you're like, leave it alone. And, you know, some of them have been actually pretty good, if not just passable. A lot of them have been trash. Right. You know what I mean? Um, but this is one where, like, there's just no need to reboot this. Right. Um, Just particularly if you're, list, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, like, you know, the, there's Home Alone 3, not good, right? There's a Home Alone 4, really not good. <laughs> <laughs> you can check all of the Home Alones out on Disney Plus right now. Um, so, uh, you know, they picked all that up with their Fox acquisition. Um, you can, you can go and watch those. That's where I watched this for the rewatch. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just see no reason. For them to redo this. <laughs> you know, it, it's the same kind of thing as like when Robert Zemeckis said, we won't be rebooting Back to the Future. Just 
just don't need to because these type of movies are timeless. You're not going to reboot The Godfather. You're not going to reboot, you know, a hundred other comedies that I could think of that are yeah. just, you know, timeless films. I mean, you know, again, like, I, and we've talked about this before, you know, like one of the reboots that I actually really like, and I like it a lot better than the original is Judge Dredd, even though it's kind of yeah. just basically a, a you know, <laughs> sticking Judge Dredd face on the raid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's things like that where I'm like, you know what? I did not mind that they rebooted that. But I don't know how many people are going to go to a Judge Dredd, 1990s Judge Dredd, and say, don't remake that. It's perfect the way it is. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you know, Total Recall, perfect the way it was. They did a remake and it wasn't all that good. You know what I mean? So, like a, like it was a, fine. It wasn't like, you know, <laughs> anything like the original. A, a movie that bothers me that they did a reboot on, this actually goes back a little bit. Do you remember the movie, I guess, who's coming to dinner with Sidney Poitier? Uh, vaguely. Yeah, I, I've seen it, but it was, if my mind can't remember stuff from nine. 30 years ago. <laughs> I'm not going that far back. So, you know, they it takes place in the 60s and it's, you know, a black man dating a white woman coming home to meet the white woman's white mm-hmm. family. And it's very poignant. It's very timely to the time period and so on and so forth. In the early 2000s, they rebooted it with uh, Ashton Kutcher dating a black girl coming home to meet Steve Harvey. And as opposed to taking it seriously like they do in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, they make it like a slapstick comedy, and it it defeats the reverence of the original film. Yeah, which I did, which bums me out. Yeah, and at that rate, it's like just do the story and call it something different. Right. You know what I mean? Like you don't need to borrow. I think you know. I think these marketing people sometimes look at those things and they go, "What IP do we have that we can rehash?" and and you know, it'll come with. A, a semi-built-in audience. So I, I see why people do it, but it is unfortunate in some of these cases. Yeah. I, again, this is going getting back on track. Home Alone is a movie that does not need a reboot. If they are to reboot it and it goes right to Disney+, Plus, might I check it out? I might check it out once, but I don't know if it will have the necessary rewatchability yeah. that this movie does. I feel like the only way I'd be interested in it is with like a fully grown up Kevin as the dad. No, just like fully grown up Kevin and they leave him at home and he like, I think, you know what? This is my pitch. They made it to a commercial. They did that in a commercial a few years ago. Was that what it was? I think it was a Super Bowl commercial. It was just maybe that's what I'm maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, but nobody notices like it's just him playing the same part of an eight-year-old kid, but just him now. As a 40-year-old as man. That would, that would be the reboot I'd like to see. Yeah, <laughs> let's get that whole thing. I, 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 don't, I don't know that I need to see a, a completely rebooted one with new cast. Yeah. <laughs> and if he's the father, he should not be forgetting his kids. That, that was, he, he went through that trauma twice. He should know better. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So uh, I had a, one little anecdote here, which is that um, Kevin you know, steals Buzz's BB gun and he's um, shooting action figures down the, uh, the shoot with it. Um, I bring this up because I have regrets. <laughs> oh, no. So I, uh, I, as a kid um, with my good buddies and I mentioned him last uh, episode, Trevor and his brother, Chris, um, we got it in our heads that we should like, and maybe Do it was half inspired thing. by this. 
should do the same thing. Yeah. So we, we set up a bunch of action figures and got our BB pellet guns out and, and did that. Unlike the figures in this, which seem to do pretty well, the BBs like exploded a number of our, our <laughs> toys. So them, yeah. I, I, I have a lot of regrets because now in my more later on nostalgic looking back on my childhood times, had a bunch of really cool like G.I. Joes and Ninja Turtles that are like gone or actually some of them I still have, but they're like in multiple pieces <laughs> because they got like blown up by the BB gun. So if I have some advice to pass on to future generations, please don't shoot your action figures with your BB gun. You are not going to think it's a good thing later on in life. <laughs> You're going to regret it. <laughs> That's your little PSA. The more you know. And, and besides that, his for for someone that's never fired a BB gun, he has got sniper accuracy. Oh yeah, no, he's a he's a Hawkeye. He's <laughs> he's got a, a deadly deadly aim, um, which obviously again comes into play a little later. But uh, yeah, don't mess with this kid. My goodness, yeah, <laughs> he'll shoot your eye out, kid. Um, <laughs> Different movie. So, yes, <laughs> I'm coming up on that one too, though. That's that's in that's in the mix for uh, my. Uh, after Thanksgiving uh, marathon and oh, uh, you know, the, you get, I think it's TBS or somebody this does like 24 hours. hours straight and I will watch easily 10 hours of that. Really? Wow. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually speaking about that, um, that big family gathering we used to do, like they, they had a big house and they had several different TVs and different people put different things on. I'd always find a room and just put that on and then I'd just like sit in there and like watch it once or twice over during the party. <laughs> yeah. I love that movie. Um, Speaking of movies, Angels with Filthy Souls. All right. Now, we talked about this uh, in the other podcast. So I'm not going to spend too, too much time, but I really just want to rehash the guy that is playing. I don't even know his character's name in it, but the, the guy with the Tommy gun. Um, he's amazing. Amazing. It's so fun. I really wish that that was an actual movie. <laughs> he kind of feels like a like a Jack Palance kind of a character or, or actor. Um, or even like a Don Rickles, but but taking it seriously kind of thing. But yeah, I don't know who he is. I don't remember who he is. But I looked it up before, and he's got you know he's got parts and things. I mean, there's a lot of people in this movie that have like random parts in other things that you you watch it like it, like the Santa Claus he talks to. I'm like that guy looks or sounds familiar, and it's like yeah, you know he's got some voices in different movies, and he pops up some places. You know, there's not anybody that's really really terribly recognizable. I think the uh, I was doing the IMDb thing. I think the waitress, uh, waitress, excuse me, the um, the lady that's checking, like the lady that's like checking them in at the airport in France, like in Paris. She's somebody. The, um, the, the old, the older couple are. I've they've been a, in a bunch of stuff too. The old man I've seen a million times that she like buys the t- ticket off to go back home with. Yeah. Um, let me find her again here quick, because now it's going to drive me nuts. Oh, uh, Hope Davis. Does the name ring a bell for you? Vaguely? Yeah, she's just uh, she's in just like a lot of different things. I, I'm not going to say that she's like like a like a big, big mainstream actress. Um, probably one of the more recent things you'd know her from is she played Maria Stark in Captain America Civil War, Tony's mother. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you know, she's just in like a lot of different things, lots of different TV shows. Um, she's a big, uh, uh, TV actress. 
Um, but she's like randomly like the uh, <laughs> the lady that's like, I'm very sorry, ma'am, but we, we cannot. That's my terrible uh, French accent. We cannot help you uh, to get away from Paris, France. <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. Random, random bit, bit things like that. So um, we're on the plane. Kevin's mom wakes up and she's trying to figure out what she forgot, ultimately realizing it was Kevin. Mm-hmm. How did she come to this conclusion? This is one of the things that does bug me about this movie. And again, you know, like, like I said, they're so good about really making sure that there's like a lot of like reasoning or, or patching plot holes before they happen. She kind of just like wakes up. She's got like this like mom instinct, like something's amiss. I've forgotten something. And, you know, again, like, attention to detail she's like listing various things she's like oh did you close the garage door and, and you know the husband is like oh, oh yeah, that's yeah. it i forgot to close the garage door and sure enough he had forgotten to close the garage door you yeah. know um so again great attention to detail but then she just like sits and thinks sits and thinks and she's like kevin yeah. and she realizes that he wasn't there but she has no real just, way of of like putting that together first class and the kids are in coach yeah, she doesn't get up. I mean, again, like, I don't know that there was cut footage. It doesn't really look like it, but she doesn't really get up and go check. No, no, if all. he's there, the only information she really has to go off is that there was a head count done at the van and it had the correct number of kids. They were all let through the gate, which, again, she could start questioning that. But you would lead you to believe that the last possible spot to her knowledge then was he was in would the be at the airport. Well, at the airport, right? Because if she has an accurate count of kids, if she, if, if she goes off that daughter or cousin's count that there was 11 kids got in the van, she should be like, all right, well, he was in the van. You know what I mean? Like th- there's no real accounting for him being home. It, it, it should have been more of a realization that once they got off the plane in Paris, they're like, where is he? Like, why is he not? Yeah, here? I'm almost either leaning towards that or a variation on this scene where rather than just her trying to piece this together by talking with the husband, she's like, I'm going to go check on the kids in the back. And she gets up and starts walking around the airplane and like isn't finding him amongst right. the people. Something like that. So, again, this movie is as close to perfect as I feel like you can get. But there are things like that, that if you really start picking at it, you can really be like. Why is that the case? Right. You know what I mean? So I do feel like this is one of those weirder little ways they wrote this or plot holes, because I feel like they could have done it differently. Um, the only thing I would say is I get the impression they only built a um, <laughs> first class set. They didn't build a coach set because we don't necessarily see, maybe we see them in coach. I'll, I don't maybe think we ever see the kids in coach. Eating my words, but I don't remember seeing the kids in coach. So maybe that's just literally, you know, their budget, their shoestring budget they were working out of. And you said they were making them, a, they were doing this in back. a gymnasium. So like exactly. Yeah. So it, again, they were working on a very, very tight budget. So, you know, I think it was like 14.5 production and then it ultimately ended up around 18. But it was all said and done. Wow. So they were definitely working on constraints here. Um, and by the way, I saw some other statistic the other day that that actually makes this one of the most successful movies as far as like Gross. percentage of like what it costs to make versus what it ultimately grossed. Um, so just another interesting little fact about this movie. So uh, next, we're with our good friends, the Wet Bandits. This is the first time I believe we see <laughs> both of them together in the van. 
And uh, Harry is um, sort of showing how he's fleeced the neighborhood to Marv and um, kind of letting him know. And I, I just thought it was very funny that all the uh, auto timers in the house um, come on within moments of each other. It's like yeah, one. Now that one. Now that one, you know, like very funny. But obviously it sets up to come which of the houses they're going to go after. And I love that he refers to the McAllister, McAllister's house as like the silver tuna or the shiny tuna or something <laughs> like that. Shiny tuna, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, some of the lines, I'm like, what is that a saying? The shiny tuna, like the silver tuna? Has anybody out there used that saying? I don't know. Yeah, so <laughs> that I, might yeah. be a, uh, an I use original. it all the time. <laughs> yes. Or the better question is, why am I not using it? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those things where I feel like it was a joke that they tried to tell to try to get it to catch on, and it might not yeah. have caught on, you know? Yeah, that one might not have taken as well as some of the others. So, skipping ahead, um, back uh, over in Grand Paris, they've figured this all out. They're knocked, very rudely knocked a woman off the phone to make their call, even though as the scene progresses, you see that there's other phones that don't have anybody even using them. <laughs> um, but uh, she calls the Chicago Police Department. And man, the Chicago Police Department is a train wreck. They are. <laughs> like, uh, they, she connects with the first woman. She sends them over to like a, a family crisis guy. She's like, the woman's hyper. And I love this description that the woman's hyper. <laughs> Not that like she's like a crazy lady or or like we have a distressed mom. It's like, hyper lady and he, you know talks to this other guy and he's a great character actor too i can't think of his name who uh the guy that she gets passed to um uh but then uh he asks like a series of like you know ridiculous questions sends it back to the police uh hyper on two <laughs> reconnects great line and uh she's like oh, all right well we'll we'll send a cop over there the cop comes over and just immediately gives up looking for a child that he's been informed that the parents and family are off in a foreign country. And there's supposedly a child all alone at this residence. And he like knocks a couple times. He's like, there's no one here. Tell them to count their kids again. And like (laughs) goes walking off. And again, like this is another one where you have to just suspend your disbelief that the cops would be either this incompetent or this uncaring um, that they would not come in and help. A, a child that has been left all alone, right. you know, um, or, or like at least set up like a search in the area to make sure that this child has been, um, you know, oh, you know, taken care of or is okay. Yeah. Um, so way to go, Chicago PD. Knocking one out of the park. <laughs> yes. So, you know, you got Kevin doing various things around his house, you know, he's, he's talking to himself. He's, he's bathing, doing all these things. He ends up in Buzz's room again. I really appreciate Buzz's room. And you can say this about a lot of different locations of this movie, but Buzz's room is such a great cross-section of 90s kids stuff. It feels like a 90s kids room. Yeah. And again, like this is a little early on in the 90s and it happens to be in Chicago, but he's got Chicago Bull stuff up everywhere. And what screams, you know, Jordan. 90s kid, but, yeah. but you know, Chicago Bulls, you know, <laughs> like. Everybody got into the Chicago Bulls in such a big, bad way. You know, he's got like all these various um, toys and and different things that are just like, it's so perfectly what a 90s kid's room would feel like. Yeah. And it kind of made me think about that the um, set dresser for this, which again, um, they cover this guy in great detail in um, the movies that made us. And he's a, he's a real um, 
barrel of of monkeys <laughs> when you when you see the thing you'll know what I'm talking about um but they did really great job with the set dressing of this movie sort of throughout um yeah, you know what's funny though about this movie yeah we see buzz's room we see the attic we see the parents room we never actually see kevin's room interesting that's a f- interesting point yeah and he again sleeps it, in his mom's bed while, while no he sleeps home. in the mom's bed he sleeps in that upstairs attic um but you're yeah he might not ever see his actual room i don't remember if it's like in the very beginning or not i don't know i mean again you could you could just um tote this back to the fact that they were building the interior of this house as a set inside this gym and at some point they were going to run out of space (laughs) you know what i mean um i don't know i'm curious if there's any scenes where he's either gathering his supplies or different things like that where it might be in a room like that i'd have to really go back and watch it with an even a closer eye to to you know verify that or not so even the micro machines you don't see where he gets them from they just kind of like he has them he sets them all up you know yeah here's what i'll do dear viewer i just watched this movie twice i'm not going to go watch it again anytime soon <laughs> if you are our dear listener i should say dear listeners uh hit us up on our social media if you happen to rewatch this and you happen to have listened to this let us know if you see kevin's room at any point because i'm really curious <laughs> Hit <laughs> us up on our on our instas or our or our twitters or tweeter eats all of and, our uh, socials yeah our social channels and let us know um yeah that's an interesting point so i just broke your brain right there you did <laughs> it, it snapped right in half it's also uh 11 o'clock so i'm gonna start going downhill now <laughs> yes so the uh good stuff comes out exactly so um we get a little quick scene with Marvin Harry, and this is the first house that they've now broken into. What's interesting is they're breaking into this house midday, um, which is so funny because they keep talking about that they need to do the McAllister house at night, but they break into several other houses like in broad daylight. So I think that's kind of a another funny little thing that they keep wanting to do his house at night. Um, but they um, hear that Peter McAllister calls and is trying to call the neighbor and confirm they're in Paris. So it starts really getting them back on track. Like, all right, we got to go rob this place. Um, I love how Joe Pesci is like really impressed with the kaleidoscope. He's got, he's like, wow. (laughs) I was like, I don't know if I've ever had that reaction, except for when I was a wee little kid to a a kaleidoscope. So I love that he had that reaction. Um, And then uh, this is also then the first run in shortly thereafter where um, Kevin um, very astutely, realizes that harry was the fake cop because he does that like nice smile and he's got that like gold tooth and it sparkles so he puts together right away that the wet bandits are, are the wet no bandits good. yes <laughs> and by the way i love the concept of the wet bandits that like their calling card would be that he just like floods people's houses <laughs> kind of a jerk move you know what i mean <laughs> like, like not only are you robbing them you're then like flooding, flooding their, house their house and they gotta better hope that they have some flood insurance or something like that and obviously it comes back to, to bite them in the butt in the end of the movie. But yeah. uh, yes, the wet bandits, uh, possibly only outdone by the sticky bandits <laughs> and his uh, duct tape hands. <laughs> we'll get to that in a few years, I'm sure. Yeah, Actually, I think it's next year. Yeah. Is it? Is it that quick a follow up? Uh, it's either 91 or not. Yeah, I think it's either 91 or 92. Yeah. All right. So we'll see you guys in a year then. <laughs> I can actually look that up. I've got the IMDb up here still. Let me 
clicky clicky. The googly googlies. Maybe I can't look it up. It's going very I'm slow. Beat you to it. Ninety-two. Okay, so so we'll see you in two years for Home Alone Two, because <laughs> I'm sure that one does big money. Um. So uh, the other thing I want to say then is because now it starts off a spree of the wet bandits trying to show up and rob the place and Kevin doing various things to thwart them uh, before the ultimate showdown. I have to say the party scene to scare them off was very impressive. Brilliant. There's some serious next level engineering going on there. <laughs> um, it's yes, exactly. Mike is doing the, uh, the dance, the Kevin dance. <laughs> I, I had to like um, gif that and put it on our um, Instagram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, at some point, I can see us um, following Wizard Suit and, and putting some of these uh, uh, up on YouTube or something. Yeah. Maybe we should set up a, a Patreon, and people that are on the Patreon will get the, uh, the YouTube version of the uh, the podcast. We'll have to <laughs> if if you want to our... sit there and listen to us talk for another two hours, of, you know, twice a month, and then watch us at the same time. Yeah, and you, I'll pay you. <laughs> yes, exactly. We'll have to up our production value a little bit. And, and I think the other thing is that we've got a, uh, I need a new couch. face for radio, face for podcasting, you know? <laughs> I've, I've been thinking I want to get like some sort of like loungeable couch so that I can just sit back and talk on my podcast, like with a little glass of Cavassier or like a, or a cognac as I'm like nice. sniffing and, and discussing <laughs> movies and comics. Yeah, this is, there my, you go. this is my life. Here we go. <laughs> I, I've got nothing else, guys. This is what I got the podcast. It's fair. <laughs> We're all good. Yes. Um, so cutting back and forth between what's going on with him and what's going on in Paris. I don't think we ever meet the brother in Paris. And by the way, I did confirm that the uncle is in fact Peter's brother. It right. is the father's brother. We don't ever meet the nope. family in Paris. I it, thought it was interesting. They're like staying at some apartment and we just don't ever see them. No, I, um, no don't they just stay in the airport the whole time? No, the the mother stays back at the airport so she can catch the flight. The family goes to the apartment because they like had it, and they're like, "Why we're going to keep, you know, thirteen other people here?" So how do you fit all people in one apartment? I don't know. I mean, whatever they're calling an apartment must be a big, big space, I guess. And yeah. again, I I don't recall if this is an apartment that they're like renting, or if it's actually the brother's place there. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It 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 it, it begs questions. But it follows possibly the Buzz logic, which I liked very much, <laughs> where the sister's questioning Buzz and, and how could he not be worried for Kevin? He's got three reasons in there. A, two, and D. <laughs> That's another one I realize I need to start using in my everyday life. Yes. <laughs> that is a good one. So uh, Kevin, in his quest for a lovely cheese pizza, has the same little Nero guy show back up, same poor driving skills, poor same bastard. poor smashing the uh, the uh, thing over there. <laughs> um, I'm convinced at this point he is never going to bring pizza here again because he's going to find a new job. He, yes, he uses the the movie to, he pays him, but he uses the movie to uh, kind of troll um, the, the little Nero guy. And uh, the poor kid goes running away thinking he's being shot at. I do not think he's ever coming back there again. And it begs the question why he didn't call the cops and have them sent right. <laughs> at the guy who was apparently shooting at him. But again, we'll, we'll go after that. Um, the other funny thing that comes up here, um, which is another one that I kind of either forgot about or, or didn't realize is that he does the 
aftershave slap twice in this movie. Yeah, he does. It's weird. I don't know, like. Yeah, and you know, I didn't want to talk too much on it because obviously we we discussed it uh, kind of uh, a bit last time. But um, I did think it was a little funny because he sort of um, forgot about it. And the, the thing I s- sort of realized is that Kevin's got a little bit of a short memory. <laughs> yeah. And I realized there's a few things in this movie and there's a few things that cross over to the second movie. And we also touched on that, that like, you know, you'd think that he would have learned from Marley that the pigeon lady might be somebody he could uh, look at without being so freaked out. But yes, Kevin definitely has a character trait of having a little bit of a, a short memory for things I feel like. <laughs> he does. Now, I'm going to steal this one because you make a point that I (laughs) think about all the time. Take it. (laughs) If you've ever seen the movie, look who's talking to, (laughs) not one, but two. There's a scene where the Bruce Willis baby is hanging out with one of his buddies and they're going, you got to put your pee pee in and miss the toilet. Mr. Toilet, I need your pee-pee and your poo-poo. And, and then, like, the Bruce Willis baby sees the toilet kind of like, feed me, Yeah, he, he has, like, a nightmare me. about it. He yeah, a <laughs> thing. And the furnace does remind me, as well as you, yes. of Mr. Toilet. Feed me. <laughs> yes, and I, I love it, too, that it's, it's Mel Brooks, and it's like, give me that pee-pee. I, I'm going to bite your hiney, you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> this is a great movie look who's talking and and the funny part is um i when i was younger i did not love two because funny enough i did not like um the roseanne voice? played baby mm-hmm. i just did not like that baby <laughs> so so there was that um i don't remember where i stand on look who's talking now with the dogs <laughs> um but uh that uh, that Mr. Toilet Man, I, I like very much. And yeah, that that furnace, uh, you know, because like, I think the first time you see the furnace, it's like really kind of scary. But then the second time, it's just like, hello, Kevin, or something like that. It's like not as not as imposing. And he's just like, oh, shut up, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Um, Kevin has a weird thing with with his fear of things, because sometimes he's like really afraid of things. And then sometimes he's like, I'm not afraid, you know, and it's yeah. like it, it's weird how it kind of. Uh, Goes back and forth. <laughs> he's terrified of the furnace. He's terrified of the attic. But burglars robbing his house, no fear whatsoever. <laughs> well, he he does, though. Like, he has, like, you know, like, he has a scene where he, like, runs away from them and, like, hides in the manger. And, you know, like, he kind of keeps going back and forth with that. But that's what I guess I mean. It's very weird at any given time if he's going to be, like, terrified of something and running away from it or, like, coming up with elaborate ruses to to overcome it or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, he has that with the, the filthy souls movie too, where like the first time he watches it, it like scares the bejesus out of him and he's like, mom, but then he uses it like a ton. And like, speaking Mm -hmm. of which, it's actually kind of the next point I had for, um, where we're at in the movie here, (laughs) you know, the angels with filthy souls gag, it's almost run ad nauseum in this movie. Um, you know, let alone again in the second movie, you know, with the sequel. <laughs> but, they, but what they do is with this one, they up the ante on this part that you're going to talk about now. Yeah, well, you know, obviously it's it's again yet another way that they he tricks um, Harry and Marv into taking off because Marv shows up at the door and he uses it to to get rid of Marv again. But, but you know, this is now fireworks in this part, too. Correct. Yes, this is where he, the fireworks come back and it, it you know, it, it makes him think that, you know, the gun is going off. 
but this is now what the third time we've heard the third lines. time that we've gone through this movie and the second time that it's been used to mess with somebody you know what i mean right um and you know they talk about um in comedy that you want to do things in threes so it's 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 just at the edge of that you know like i i think on at least my second rewatching of this i was like god they're doing that gag with the, that movie again you know um so it, it is funny i mean again i i think it works for what he's doing and it was a way to get him away from the door i feel like they could have left out doing that with the pizza boy then though you know what i mean just because right. like it's basically the exact same thing same and i guess door, you could make the argument door, that like yeah. exactly you know i think you could make the argument that he realizes how well it works on the pizza boy that he then uses it again on marv and by the way like fast forward rewinding and playing vhs skills for days well, <laughs> kevin like, has he was on fire he, he knew <laughs> There was no time code. He just knew, boom, where to stop it and go. <laughs> He's got that scene queued up, but um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, at any rate, um, the next uh, scene we're in here is uh, when we're ultimately introduced to John Candy. And yet again, I want to point out not to be confused with John Goodman. Um, but uh, we've got John Candy and his band, the Kenosha Kickers. Um What's interesting about this scene and John Candy in this movie is that it's um, almost entirely improv, which is, is so really? to the contrary. Yeah, it's very contrary to the rest of the movie where um, John Hughes is somebody who's very much somebody who wants the movie to stay as close to his script as possible. Right. Um, and then ironically, again, if you watch this documentary, he talks about that like like one of the very few days that he was on set was the day that John Candy was in all of the scenes with John Candy was filmed in one day um, to my recollection of them saying it. Um, and he was actually paid um, at uh, what's, what's like the, uh, the terminology? Yeah. Like a day rate, um, something like 400, 500 bucks, which apparently um, in another interview, I, in that same in, uh, interview with uh, Chris Columbus, he was saying that apparently he's been kind of sore on that after the fact, because obviously this movie did, pretty so big well. money so he could have gotten a little ch bigger chunk of that um but uh you know it's it's funny you know i i feel like when i'm rewatching that it really feels improv juxtaposed with the rest right. of the movie where like the writing is very tight very specific gags and like you know he just comes in there like oh the polka king of the midwest you know the, my song polka 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 you know it goes polka <laughs> polka polka <laughs> it's just like it's like okay you know and it's like it wouldn't work if it weren't John Candy, you exactly. know what I mean? You know, like if it weren't John Candy, you know, and, uh, you know, he's just such a ridiculous character. But Catherine O'Hara acts so well off of his improvisation that, like, it sells it because she's so, like, like at a loss because she doesn't realize how to respond to him in certain times, the things he says. And well, it's true. And it's it's a funny role for her, too, because I'm I'm used to seeing her in her comedic sort of role. like. I've actually, uh, you'll be proud of me, or Dory will be proud of me. I've been watching Shit's Creek uh, as of late or trying to watch a bit more of it. We had started it and now we're getting back into it. Um, but, you know, uh, all the other um, movies that she did, all the mockumentary the movies that she Guess did, movies and Christopher like Guest movies, all the waiting for Guffman's and things, Mighty Wind, you know, I'm used to her from those movies. Uh, Beetlejuice, you know, and actually, I think they say in that documentary that like uh, the reason she got brought on on this was from her role in Beetlejuice. But she's a great comedic actress, and she's 
you know, playing this role by and large, very straight, very big at some moments when she's like, Karen or whatever, but, um, you know, she's playing it, you know, fairly straight against people like him. And it, it's almost a shame she doesn't get more to do. I don't think it would make sense for her character necessarily. Mm-hmm. But as you say, she has some great expressions and reactions to him because he's like very over the top. Like, you know, the scene later on when they're in the um, U-Hole <laughs> and he's like trying to be like, play it, play it, play the clarinet. And she's like, no, you know, <laughs> like he's like, oh, all right. <laughs> you know, you know, but like, it's, it's great. Um, and I, I think she's probably so sick of, of being with these people at the uh, end of their very nice um, ride for her to, uh, to get back home. Yeah. So anyway, we're getting towards the end here. The wet bandits finally figure out um, Kevin's game because he comes outside and, and chops down his little, pine tree in his yard to build a little Christmas tree. And, um, you know, the jigs up, they, they come and they, they try and, uh, come in the door. Um, and, or no, I guess not at this point, but you know, it's unclear to me why they just don't try and rob him then. You know what I mean? Like they're kind of waiting outside the house. They could just rob him then in daylight. You know, they've done it several other times at the other houses. I don't really know why they don't. Well, they say kids are scared of the dark. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. I guess. I guess it's that. I, I mean, I, I think a kid would be scared of two grown men like breaking into his house with crowbars and <laughs> attacking yeah. him and breaking, you know, stealing his stuff or whatever. But fair enough. Um, you know, next thing is like Kevin's off with um, Santa's helper, and I don't have so much to say about this scene specifically, except to say that I hate that they put things like this in movies like this where I feel like a big thing in a lot of Christmas movies is questioning the belief of Christmas or the belief of Santa and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so here you've got this guy who's Santa's helper. And, you know, like when I'm showing this to my still believing seven year old, Oh God, you know, like she didn't ask me about it, but like, I bet you it was going through her head because she's sharp about things like this, you know, and I hate, that so many movies, you know, the Santa Claus does this. And like, you know, there's so many Christmas movies where it's like, it's questioning the concept of, of, of Santa, of Santa. And is it real and Christmas and things like that? And it's, it's a really bizarre thing, you know, like there's just a lot, a lot, a lot of Christmas movies that really use that as their crux. And most of them, you know, tend to circle back, you know, it's like, it's like the um, miracle on 34th street thing probably kicked this whole trend off. You know, like, it's like, of course he's real. You know, he's at the end, he's real or whatever, you know, but, um, you know, it, it's that, it's that questioning the belief thing. And in this movie, they don't really tie that back up or anything. It's just right. the smoking Santa or whatever. And, you know, arguably maybe this movie is a little old for a seven year old, you know, I shouldn't maybe necessarily be showing it to her at this age or whatever, but uh, I just wanted to complain for a minute about that. I hate that. It's, <laughs> PG, so many it's, Christmas it's a PG movies. movie. I mean, yeah, yeah that. that, that, that part. And, now, who is that Santa? Is that Artie Lang? <laughs> I wish it was Artie Lang. I can see why you would say that. Um, I did look him up earlier um, as, as like I said, I was curious. He's been um, in other stuff, too. Like He's kind of like a, a bit character that plays in a lot of... Exactly, yes. He, he's, just, he's just this random actor that pops up in a lot of things. His name is Ken Hudson Campbell. Um, and he's just in a bunch of random things um you know he has a bunch of stuff if you go down his imdb page there's nothing there where i could say like oh he played this character and you'd be like oh yeah (laughs) um i i think the only one that really stands out to me 
um, is he played a character named Max in Armageddon, and I don't know how well you remember yeah, Armageddon. Okay. He's the- He's the heavyset guy that's like riding exactly. on the rocket. Yes, exactly. Yes. And that's like one of the only ones when I was going through his list that like I was like, oh, that's exactly who that is. Um, you know, he did a good job in this role enough to and he was similar enough, as you say, to make me think like he's got to be somebody else. But but that's who that is. So <laughs> oh, wow. that's funny. So Kev is well and truly wishing he had his family back at this point. Um, they're kind of um, smashing you over the head with it. He's sort of not only says it a few times. I wish I had my family back, whatever. He's like wandering kind of aimlessly around his neighborhood and like seeing other people at home, having like family meals and everything. And it leads him to the church where he meets up with Marley. Um, and the first thing I'd say about Marley is if he had been this approachable and less creepy, all the other run-ins, I'm sure things would have been much more copacetic earlier yeah. in the movie between these two. Um, but, you know, this is a very heartfelt scene, great scene, great writing. It's one of my um, favorite scenes in the movie because it's it it's not that it takes you out of the story, but it makes, you know, a fantastic story feel a little bit more real and honest. Just- it does, you know, and at the end of this movie, kind of if you take nothing else away from Home Alone, you know, outside of the experience of having watched it. It's it's almost more a heartfelt reunion that this guy gets back together with his son and his granddaughter than like their family being reunited. Like you're like, right. all right, they're back home. But like you knew they were coming home and like, you know, everything was going to resolve itself or whatever. And, and the truth is, you know, all of Kevin's family isn't very likable. You know, they're not. Likeable <laughs> yeah. People. No. Right. Yeah. They, they, the whole family and really even Kevin included aren't like the most likable people. They're really kind of obnoxious people. <laughs> so yeah. like, you know, there, there is that, but like, you know, it's a nice little redemption moment because it's like, you, you know, you and I were talking about in the other half of this, that there's kind of several threads of plots that are kind of occurring through this. And so, you know, this is a nice character arc for this character that supposedly murdered his family that you find out that really he's just estranged from his family and in the end, that's tied up with that nice little bow that they get back together. And, yeah. you know, the Christmas spirit brings them back together. So that's a really feel good moment at the end. And, they, you know, they kind of end the movie sort of on that outside of, you know, Buzz, um, you know, yelling <laughs> at, at him. Um, but before we can get to the end, we obviously have the uh, the coup de gras okay. of the movie here. This is this is. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to bring this up, but take it away. This is a- yes. So I, I feel like the biggest plot hole in the movie starts here. Um, it's it's again just one of these things that I have to question based on how tightly knit they have thought of and done so many other things in this movie. But he leaves Marley at the church with the bells at the church ringing for eight p.m. Right. Eight tolls of the bell. Between 8 p.m. and 9 p.m., he runs home and sets up every single trap and bit of his plan that he's going to use to thwart the wet bandits who he's overheard are going to come at 9 p.m. Right. He sits down with his little microwave mac and cheese at 8.57, which he doesn't eat, you know, at his candles. He doesn't eat. Uh, and again, uh, just another fun nod back to that insider um, article. They questioned Chris Columbus on that. And he's like, really? God, I got to go back and rewatch this now. I don't know why we did that that way. <laughs> he doesn't eat his, his mac and cheese. 
Um, and it obviously goes on into the whole shenanigans after this, but damn, how does he get all that done in one hour's time? I mean, just laying out the micro machines alone would have taken an hour. He's got the micro machines. He tars all of his basement steps. He ties the paint cans. He ices the water. He takes a rope from the third floor of his house and brings it to his swing tree house. house, Yeah. And, and he gets a lot. And then he also makes dinner. (laughs) He also has that, that heat thing. He puts on the doorknob. The heat. Yeah. And that was heated up, ready to go. He's got the saran wrap with the glue and the feathers and the fan. I mean, he gets a lot, a lot, a lot done in one hour's time. I feel like, and again, you know, you and I have questioned time in movies before, you know, obviously with like Bruce Willis and the airplanes and things like that. Um, I, I really question why they decided to make him meeting with Marley at 8 PM rather than something like 6 PM. Right. It's completely conceivable that a children's choir would have been at a church singing at 6 PM. Right. You know what I mean? So it just seems like a bizarre oversight that they were. And again, maybe it is 6 p.m. in movie time and they just let that bell toll <laughs> too many times or so, something like that. I don't know. Um, you know, it just seemed like a weird choice yeah, that he'd it, get all that done that quickly. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, you would assume like a choir practice for Christmas Eve would be either between five and six, something like that. And then it, He'd go home at six o'clock and then he'd have even, I would say, the two and a half hours from six to eight thirty would be an <laughs> ambitious amount of time to to get all that stuff set up. It's almost like so, they, that they should have had that stuff set up before he goes to church. That's what I was thinking as well. Yeah. Um, obviously, the kid's a bit of a MacGyver and, and has deadly and infinite creative potential so yeah <laughs> yes so uh, i'm not going to go through all the traps because we could spend another half an hour just talking about all that sort of thing mm-hmm. um i thought i'd point out a couple fun things so another fun fact um which i learned recently um is that the bb that he shoots into mars face was hand painted um they hired somebody in the area and paid them something like six hundred dollars to paint six frames of footage to show the BB heading into Marv's face because there was no CG at this point for that. <laughs> they wouldn't have been, you know, doing that that way. So I, I love that that was a little like dopey hand painted detail. You know what I mean? Um, so again, just a little behind the scenes fun fact. Um, I question that they didn't just kick in the door. Um, they've come to that same back door again where he's tricked the pizza guy, where he's tricked Marv. And the two of them show up and they're knocking on it like, hey, kid, let me in. And they leave the door to go to two other doors after they've been respectively shot in the crotch and the face right. by a BB gun. They know it's a BB gun. Why did they leave that door? Why didn't they just kick it in? And again, if they if they do go through that door, they're getting the flamethrower. So that is going to happen. They don't know that. But like, kick the door in. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, it's a little kid. You've got crowbars. You're going to be able to take down a little kid with a pump action BB gun if, if, if you're really serious. You just and take a BB l- in the balls. You can take a BB in the chest. Seriously. <laughs> they, they leave to go to two other doors. They get mutilated doing so. Ultimately, be to come for Harry to ultimately come back to this door anyway and get flamethrowered. <laughs> so, um, 
and again, we mentioned this the other time. God, the falls are so rough in this movie. And again, they they do a great job in that uh, documentary talking with the uh, stunt guys that perform some of these falls. And they're very candid about like, yeah, I just threw myself off the top of the steps. But like, again, good job, because like those are some seriously like just gnarly looking falls that they do um, downstairs. uh, I guess mostly all downstairs and things like that between the paint cans the icy steps, the nail on the foot, the you know, things like that is just oh. is crazy. I mean, I don't know how these two people wouldn't be massively, massively injured, if not dead by the end of the yeah. scene. Agreed. So my other question on this is why does Kevin call the police as late as he does into this encounter? Like, you know, wouldn't you think if he like, knows they're coming at nine, they show up at nine, like one of the first things he would do is, they should have the cops there is called. I mean, he kind of waits until like, like a good three quarters of the way through, through dealing with them to, to be like, this is something, something, oh, this is Murphy or something. <laughs> I think he says he's Murphy. This is Murphy. The cops are, Oh, you know, what's interesting. I think I had forgotten this. I think he calls the cops to come to the Murphy's house. He gives the, them their address that was the, and, and he ultimately ends up leading them there. So maybe that's a little bit why maybe I answered my own question. He needed the lead time to get them to follow them to their house. Right. Interesting. Okay. So I just answered my own question. Never mind. Again, the story <laughs> kind of building the plot. Maybe yep. Buttoned it up. There you go. Um, so uh, <laughs> another funny little thing I just thought was a, a silly thing is the stunt double that was going across the zip line. Kevin's going like, whoa, whoa and like meanwhile it's like if you're looking at it at least now in the days of hd you can clearly see the stunt doubles just like going across with his mouth mouth closed yeah not screaming or anything i just thought that was very funny and ultimately we end up at the murphy's house and marley saves the day bashes the the wet bandits with his uh trusty snow shovel shovel. his murder (laughs) shovel i'm curious if he was if the cops didn't show up if he'd have stuck them in his uh, bucket of salt and mummified them but my question to you to uh to kind of get close to finishing things out here do you think harry would have actually eaten kevin's fingers if given the chance because <laughs> the way this scene ends is he's like let's let's use a blowtorch on his head yeah and put a nail in his foot yeah and hit him in the face with an iron yeah and he's like but i'm gonna start by biting off every one of your little fingers and he like grabs his hand Ugh. opens his mouth and then marley bashes him my question to you do you think Harry was literally about to cannibalize Kevin? <laughs> I think at this point, he's so mad at this kid <laughs> that he might just bite a finger off. He might just eat one? Yeah, just for at least bite it pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, it, as we're wrapping things up, uh, you know, you think Kevin's parents are the worst parents in the world, but I got to bring things back to John Candy, who oh, at this point God. in the movie, tells an utterly horrifying story that he left his child with a corpse all day long at a funeral parlor once. And that the aftermath of that, the child bounced back, but it took him over seven weeks to start talking again. Instant villain. <laughs> and oh what's my amazing God. about that is, is he improved all that. It, yeah, but like, oh my god, like that's scary. That is genuinely scary. That's you know, you, you're sitting this whole movie thinking about, you know, she keeps complaining about I'm such a terrible mother, and he tells this story to try and make her feel better, and she's like, that did not make me feel better, and she's like scooting away from him or something. But like, 
the only thing I could feel like I came away with is I don't think John Goodman would have done that. No. <laughs> I don't know. He did do arachnophobia, so it's hard to yeah, say. Yeah. But, but yeah. The, the way that John Candy delivers that dialogue and just that scene is so good because you're just like, uh, yeah, I feel like I feel like they could have put some like horror sounding music and her like, oh my god, are we almost there? I need to get out of this van at that get point because that was that was a sketchy, sketchy story. <laughs> at any rate, everyone gets home. The Marleys have their big uh, family reconnection. Happy ending, except for Buzz's room. Home alone. Great movie. I, I feel like we've mentioned it several times. It, it bears repeating one last time. Fabulous movie. It will go down in the annals of film history um, as one of the all-time greats, if not one of the all-time, at least great hol- uh, holiday sort of movies. Um, I, I, I think I speak for you in saying that we both highly recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the uh, question that I raise yeah. is, you know, so the mother gets an earlier flight, takes the bus across the you know the country. <laughs> the whole family gets the morning flight, yes, and walks into the house moments later. The dad's like, "We caught the morning flight." Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> "It doesn't, it doesn't track," and it like it it, it it sews it up for the story fine. But I'm like, "There's no way. There's no way they got." That yeah, game. I guess the only thing, if you do probably the mental Olympics to figure out her whole thing is I know that she was bouncing from airport to airport to airport. She spent the night in the Paris airport. Yeah. I think what they were saying is that she was gonna have to wait two days or something like two days originally. So it just seems that her travel time between various flights, waiting overnight, catching the van ride ultimately ended up taking her basically what it would have taken for if she had just waited and got on the thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's silly. That's a little bit of that, like, you know, movie silliness that it happened to be right then and there. But, I, you know, I think it's just playing on that, like, Christmas miracle thing. Yeah. Everybody shows up and everybody's all back united. Yeah. But, but other than that, I mean, the the movie is fantastic. It's a wonderful film. Uh, it's close to flawless. Yeah, I mean, you heard it here. We had to stretch to pull out things. And I right. think I pulled out all the things you know what i mean like there really wasn't too many things past that that i feel like were massive obvious plot holes that like anybody but you and i re-watching this for the sake of doing a podcast about these type of things would be questioning yeah so you know other than the fact that he had to buy a toothbrush you'd assume if they didn't pack his luggage he'd have his toothbrush still yeah he he kind of says something like i lost my toothbrush and i i don't know how you lose a toothbrush (laughs) <laughs> again i think probably actually you probably hit the nail on the head that parry the mother probably packed it yeah you know what i mean like that's probably where the toothbrush went yeah. um why he's so concerned that it's ada approved and why the people that run a pharmacy are completely stumped by that question <laughs> <laughs> you know like to the point where they're like whispering back and forth to each other in hushed tones for like a good 30 seconds while he's like dealing with marley about like is it ada it can't be ADA. is it ADA? Like, you know, like. Who knows? But yeah, <laughs> again, we'll let it go. <laughs> we will let it go. But again, it's it's a super fun movie. It's a great movie to boost your spirits on this 
Thanksgiving weekend and, you know, get you ready for the holiday season. It's, you know, it is a timeless film. I really believe it's a timeless Definitely. Movie. So speaking of Thanksgiving, I thought we would um, wrap this show up here, but I wanted to end it on a happy Thanksgiving note as we are going to be publishing this on good old Black Friday day after. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously uh, Mike and I want to wish all of you, our listeners, a very happy and safe Thanksgiving. Um, I thought for a moment, Mike, you and I might talk a little bit. I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot, but what we might be a little bit thankful for here this year. And again, you know, we sort of started the podcast off this way. So I feel like it's a good way to wrap it up again. You know, it's been a tough year for a lot of people. Um, but, uh, you know, it, uh, when Thanksgiving comes along and again, not to get too mushy, but um, it is a time to to think about what you're thankful for. And, you know, like in the immediate box office 30 realm, um, I'm very thankful to you, sir, for joining me on this you know it's it, like we've joked about before it's been a long time coming that you and i want to do this so i want to thank you for the time and the effort that you've been putting in here want to thank the retro network and everybody involved there in in giving us a home and um, letting us uh, send these out to you guys every month i want to thank all of you listeners for um listening to the show and and you know engaging with us as you do on um, social media uh, makes it all worthwhile to to know that even just a few people are out there listening to our monthly antics. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's a tough year. Like I said, it's been a, a rough year for a lot of people. Um, but, you know, I think you actually were one of the few people that that pointed this out to me that, you know, my family, we kind of upended ourselves. We, you know, my wife and I were living in New York City for 15 years and we've moved to a new state and you know, got the kids in a new school and things like that. And there's a lot of different things. You know, I got my new job. There's a lot of different things that have been happening this year that like are just things that, you know, when I'm trying to think of 2020 and everything that comes with it, all the baggage, the emotional baggage and the turmoil that comes with it, there are things that, you know, shine a bright side. Um, and I'm happy to be able to do a podcast like this and, and be able to be employed and you know, have a good home and things like that. So I'm, I'm very thankful for a lot of um, things this year when it comes around to that. And again, I'm not trying to be too mushy or sentimental on a, on a 30 year old uh, movie podcast, you know, but uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I really did want to say that, you know, I think um, it's a tough year, um, but I hope you out there in listener land are, are safe and are well and have things that are, that are, on the positive end for you. And my hope is that um, even the hour and a half, or if I'm being honest, two hours that you <laughs> might often spend with us here on this podcast might be a, a little boost for you or things like that. So uh, again, thank you very much for, for listening to us. Yeah. Well, so it's going to be hard to top that. Cause that was really I'm sorry. Weird. Yeah, no, I know. I, I, I picked up and ran with that. It's quite all right. <laughs> First of all, I'm I'm thankful for the fact that you think I put in effort on this show. <laughs> um, so no, honestly, you know, today this I was thinking about this a lot recently. It's a it is a weird year. It's a weird everything for so many people around the globe. But funny enough, like thankfully, I've been working from home since March while doing my master's degree and I wouldn't have had that opportunity to be home with my family and my children this entire time and 
watch my children grow and, you know, teach them and stuff like that, as well as going to school and working on this podcast and other stuff that I'm affiliated with, with the Retro Network. And, you know, I normally wouldn't have this time or just the ability to kind of live in my space and, you know, adjust to certain things and understand certain things. And, you know, the funny thing about this whole year is it's kind of forced people to reconnect in a different way. Like, you know, at the start of the pandemic or the shutdown or whatever you want to call it, people were FaceTiming everybody and say, Oh, let's get a family FaceTime. Like, I hadn't talked to people in my family, some of them in years. And we talk now more than ever over text message or whatever because of this year being so weird and being so challenging and difficult. Um, I also look at it kind of like this. I, I feel like in life, a lot of things happen for a reason. Pete and I have been talking about doing something like this for a decade, I'd say. And whether it's because of the technology that has come out over the time or just us being home and having this opportunity to brainstorm and talk about things, we were able to start a passion project of ours, this podcast, for the first time. And, you know it was almost like a way to get some sort of escapism or a release or the ability to just kind of disconnect for two hours every two weeks when we sit here and chit chat about movies that, you know, <laughs> some that we love, some that we never even saw. And, and, and some and, that we don't like. <laughs> and, and some that we don't like. And that's okay. But overall, it's been, it's a fun journey and I'm looking forward to seeing how far it will take us. Absolutely. All right. Well, on that note, we are going to close things out for this week. Again, thank you all very much for listening. We hope you have a very happy and safe Thanksgiving, and we will see you next month with our next film, Dancers with Wolves, which I know, Michael, you are looking terribly forward to. Oh, boy. <laughs> good Good luck with not only the timing of that, but also the uh, social connotations that come with it (laughs) you know that's gonna be a lot to talk about like a lot to talk about and digest but it's It's going to be a lot yes (laughs) it may be a nine-hour podcast guys just buckle up for that one (laughs) all right (laughs) see you next month see ya thanks i'm gonna give you to the count of ten to get your ugly yellow no good keister off my property before i pump your guts full of lead one Keep the change, you filthy animal. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.